You know what? We might not be in Nehemiah chapter 8. Because we didn't come last week, did we? Or did we? Yeah, we came last week. Okay. There was one we missed because of the storm. I couldn't remember if it was last week or the week before. And I thought I'd messed up. Yeah, we, we, we were here last week, and it was a doozy. Nehemiah 7 was a doozy. Uh, as as well as as uh, as Ezra chapter two, those two 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 chapters are very similar. Uh, it is believed by many that Nehemiah and Ezra were written at the same time by Ezra. Uh, and I'll tell you, we looked at some some difficulties last week and just briefly talked about them. It's a those two books are kind of difficult trying to make heads and tails of some of those numbers and how the events really line up and span over that whole period of time. We won't really get into that in a lot of detail, but I will tell you that if you've ever uh, read Ezra and Nehemiah and you're trying to kind of figure out how these things line up and, and how these different kings that are mentioned all go together and the time frame and the people and you, you it don't make sense to you, well, you are not alone. I, I, there's at least one more person that struggles with that and uh, there's a lot of stuff about these books that are difficult. But I say this often when we come across you know, parts of Scripture that are very difficult. And, and, and on some level, Nehemiah and Ezra are very difficult, but, but at their core, the message is very simple. At their core, we, we see a couple of important things happen. God's people are returning to Jerusalem. The temple is being rebuilt. The walls are being rebuilt, and the people are coming back in. That's the core of the message of Ezra and Nehemiah. And that's what we've seen up to this point in Nehemiah. They have come back in, they have rebuilt the walls, and there are not many people there, but but there are fisting to be people there. Uh, and we saw in Nehemiah 7 a list of the people that, that were also recorded in Ezra 2 that originally came back, and it was a lot of people. I mean, it's 42,000 people, uh, but but there weren't many people in the city. Some of these people may have may have set up you know homes and stuff around Jerusalem, uh, but it doesn't appear, based on Nehemiah's language, that there were really a whole lot of people back in Jerusalem. But that that was soon going to change because now that the walls were up, people were going to start to come back in. And at the end of Nehemiah seven. Uh, it kind of it kind of springboards us into Nehemiah eight. Now, some of your some of your Bibles may even separate the last <laughs> sentence or so of of Nehemiah seven, or it may it may make a little little note there because really the end of Nehemiah seven, that last last sentence there, kind of helps us to understand what's going on in Nehemiah eight. Now, why whenever those who were first arranging and deciding where chapters needed to start and stop. And where verses needed to start and stop, because there were no chapters or verses in any of these original, you know, writings. Why they didn't, why they didn't change that to be something different than they did, I don't know. I ought to put the end of chapter seven to start of chapter eight, but I ain't the one that did it. So we'll start right at the end of Nehemiah seven, and then we'll we'll work our way into Nehemiah eight. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word, and I pray that you help us to see what's going on in this book, in this chapter we look at tonight to understand what's happening with your people. God, how you have been good to your people and delivered your people, but you also call your people to obedience. And God, they hadn't been living obediently to you. But God, you, you've been good to them and restored them. And I pray, God, that, that, that maybe we realize that in our life, that you are good to us and you restore us, and that we would follow the example that we see of, of your people in this passage tonight, that we would follow in obedience, dear Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. All right, Nehemiah 7, the last, last sentence. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, then verse 1 of Nehemiah 8, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. Now, you probably remember from, from uh, the beginning of Nehemiah, we looked at the walls and different gates that were all, all around. And we, we looked at our picture where some of those gates were. And so in the seventh month, we get an idea of when these things are taking place. They meet at the water gate. Uh, and they ask Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. Okay, so they have built the temple. They have now built the walls. People are starting to gather around, and they call in Ezra, who's going to read the law of Moses. Now, when we talk about the law of Moses, we're talking about what we would, what we would uh, consider some of the things maybe in the book of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, some of those things where we see God give the law to Moses. That's what they would have been, been reading and focused on here in verse 2. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read, it, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So Ezra is reading God's Word. Now, maybe he's just reading straight from the Word of God. Maybe he's, he's preaching along with that. But, but this lasted for a long time, from daybreak until noon. So this was a pretty, a pretty long worship session where they were looking at the Word of God. Uh, Ezra would not be very successful in our world today. Uh, one, people would not come at daybreak, and two, they would not stay till noon. Uh, sometimes people don't come to 11 and they don't want to stay till noon. So Ezra's audience was far better than maybe many people that we see in our world today. But they came for a long time. Maybe, maybe this Sunday would be a good time to, to try this. We'll, some of us will be here at daybreak for sunrise. Maybe I should just preach on through till 12 and uh, see how that works. I don't know. But anyway, they're, they're looking at the book of the law. They're looking at, to, at the law of Moses and Ezra's reading it to them. And in verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Now, I don't know if that's why preachers preach from platforms today. Uh, perhaps they get that from this, this, this situation where Ezra was on a high wooden platform. And that's likely for the same reason that when you go to places and see people on stages that we do today. So you can see them good, so that you can hear them good. And there were a lot of people that were listening to Ezra. And he was on this platform, and he was reading the law. All right, Ezra the scribe stood on a high plat wooden platform made for this purpose. Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah stood beside him on his right. To his left were Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people, since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So as Ezra began to read the law here, the people were very receptive of what Ezra was saying. They, they, they yearned to hear from the word of the Lord. Now it says when Ezra started reading that they all stood up. 
Now, sometimes you may go to places where before the preacher reads the Word of God, they say, please stand for the reading of God's Word, possibly in reference to what Ezra did here. Now, I don't know if they stood the whole time or stood just at the beginning. Uh, it's really hard to say, but if they stood from daybreak till, till noon, that's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, they obviously were serious about wanting to come and worship the Lord and hear His Word. And they were not just there. They weren't just there complaining, saying, oh, he's going, well, he just finished, wait, he's starting, he's starting Deuteronomy. Oh, now he's going to start Leviticus. No, they were attentive to what he was saying. They were listening to what he was saying. And they were amening it. We agree. We agree with what you're saying, what you're saying, Ezra. And so things appear to be going good. God's people are restored. They're back in the land. And now they're, they're rediscovering, in a sense, uh, the law of God and the word of God. Verse 7. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akeb, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabath, Hanan, and Peliah, who were Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. And so I'm not sure exactly how this looked. Maybe after Ezra read the law, these others were around and they were also reading the law and explaining because much like us, the people may have heard some of the things and said, I don't, I don't really know what that means. What does that mean? I'm not sure what that means. And so there were others there who were familiar with the law and they were explaining it to them. Now, it may have been that there were so many people there that maybe these others were kind of uh, uh, scattered out. It says they were in their places. So maybe they heard what Ezra was saying, and it was kind of a relay, and they were scattered all around so they, could, so they could relay the message. I'm not sure exactly what this would have looked like, but in some way Ezra was, was reading from the law, and all of these others were too, and they were explaining to the people, here's what the law says, and here's what it means. And so the people wanted to understand, and they were doing their best to help the people understand. Now, this, this whole uh, uh, scene that we see played out here where God's people are, are hearing the law of Moses uh, reminded me of a story from back in 2 Kings. If you want to flip there to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. This is a story of a king named Josiah. He, he came to be king when he was young, eight years old. And he was a good king for Judah. Israel didn't have any good kings, but Judah had a few good kings. And Josiah was one of those good kings. Well, God's people were in a mess, as was usually the case in the Old Testament. Most of the time when we see God's people, they are in a mess because of sin, because of idolatry. They're worshiping false gods. It's the same story over and over again. Well, in the story of Josiah, he, being a good king is attempting to restore God's people and kind of restore their focus on the Lord. They've been focusing on worshiping false gods. And he begins to restore the temple, which, which was not being used to worship the Lord, but had a bunch of stuff for worshiping these false gods in the temple. And so Josiah was attempting to get things restored and get the people's focus back on God. And in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8, we see this story unfold. 2 Kings 22, verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, told Shephan, the court secretary, I, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. 
and he gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the temple and have put it into the hand of those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikim, son of Shaphan, Ekbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the court secretary, and the king's servant, Asiah, go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people, and all Judah about the instruction in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. So here's the scene. Judah was in bad shape. They've been worshiping false gods. They're cleaning up the temple. And while they're cleaning up the temple, lo and behold, what did they discover? They discovered the book of the law. They discovered the law of Moses. Now, this would lead us to believe that they weren't familiar with the law of Moses and they weren't living by the law of Moses that God had commanded them to live by. And so when Josiah, when they bring it to him and said, hey, we found this book while we was cleaning up the temple, and they read it to him, Josiah realized what was going on. He tore his clothes. That's, that's, that's language for, for mourning. He knew that they were living in sin. That, he knew things were bad, and so he tore his clothes, and he said, look, things have got to, got to change. We've got to gather up the people. We've got to get the word out about, about this because, man, I've heard the law of God, and we're not living by what God calls us to. The law tells us how we're supposed to be living, and we're not living that way. And so Josiah helps get the people back on track briefly. It doesn't last very long, which is usually the case when we read about God's people in the Old Testament. But Josiah rediscovers the law of Moses in this passage. And as a result, God, God kind of blesses his people as you read through the rest of the chapter. He, he knows. He said, look, the wrath of God is on us because we are not listening to his word. Now, I don't think that that's true just for in Josiah's day. I think that that's true in our day, too. Anytime people anywhere in the world refuse to listen to God's word, God's wrath will be upon them. And that is a scary thing to think about, especially when we look at our world today, especially when we look at our own country today, where many people do not want to listen to the word of God. What God's word so many times says is evil, our world celebrates. Now, this should not come as a surprise to us. We see this uh, uh, talked about in Scripture. We see this even in the, in the book of Romans. At the very beginning of the book, in the first chapter, Paul is talking about things that God says are evil, just, just disgusting things. But he said, not only do you do these things, but you celebrate other people who do these things. Well, that doesn't look so different from our world today. And it doesn't look so different maybe from what Josiah's world looked like. People who were worshiping false gods, living for themselves, didn't even know about God's word. And when they rediscovered it and Josiah was made aware of it, he said, whoa, we have come a long way from where God wants us to be and we are in trouble of God's wrath. And I believe that those words are true to us today or any generation of people that turn from God. Whoa, we are in trouble. Trouble of facing God's wrath, brothers and sisters in Christ. May God be with us. We don't know what the future holds, but 
Should our country and our world continue to seek sin and live for sin and love sin, we will be in trouble. But in the case of Josiah, what saved him from the trouble? They read God's word and they lived by God's word. And God was, was gracious to them. And so God will be gracious to anybody in the world should they look at his word and read God's word and repent and live by his word. And so that's why we come. We come to worship the Lord and to praise the Lord, but we come to look at his word so that we can learn his word and hopefully live by his word. And so in the story of Josiah, they rediscovered God's word. And perhaps that's similar to what was going in the book of Nehemiah. If you want to turn back to Nehemiah 8. So the law had been read before the people. And we see Ezra, uh, one of the main characters that, that we've seen in the book of Ezra and now here in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 8 9, we see Nehemiah mentioned. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and spend portions, excuse me, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Do not grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. Now, I don't know why they began to mourn and weep when they heard the word of the Lord, but perhaps they were mourning and weeping. Uh, for, for joy in some sense. I mean, after all, they had been restored and the temple had been rebuilt and the walls had been rebuilt and now they're reading God's word. Maybe there was some sense of joy there or perhaps it was the same attitude that Jos uh, Josiah had when he heard the law. Maybe they realized, whoa, we, we have come a long way from the Lord. We have really drifted a long way from the Lord. We're not living the way that we should be and they heard God's word and they mourned and they weep. What about you and I? Perhaps there have been days in your life where you have heard God's word or you have read God's word. And man, it really made you, it made you weep inside. It made you weep outside because it revealed to you just how far away you were from God, just how, how, how much sin you were living in. And, and God's word has that effect on us if we read it and listen to it. But if we don't read it and listen to it, then how can it work in our life? Well, it probably is not going to work in our life. That's why it's important for us to hear the Word of God and read the Word of God. But it seems apparent from Nehemiah 8 that it did work in these people's lives, that they heard it, they were receptive, they were amening, and they were mourning, and they were weeping, and they had great joy with all that was going on in the reading of the law. So things are looking good for the people of Nehemiah's day. I mean, it was tough at the beginning of the book. Remember, those people were coming against them, trying to keep them from building the wall, but they've done it. And now they, they're here, and they're weeping, and they're mourning, and they're celebrating, and they're rejoicing, and they're hearing the word of God, and things are going good for them, finally, after a difficult time. Verse 13. On the second day, the family leaders of all the people, along with the priests and Levites, assembled before Ezra the scribe to study the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should dwell in booths during the festival of the seventh month. 
Now, there were three main festivals that God commanded his people to, to partake in uh, in the Old Testament that, were, that they were supposed to do uh, continually or forever, the translations say. And one of those things was the, was the festival of booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, maybe another, another word that your translation says or a word that you have heard. And, and they see this in the book. As they're reading through the book of the law, uh, we see at the beginning that they continue to study it, even after Ezra had read it and these other guys had read it, they're continuing to study the law. And in it, they see that something is supposed to occur in the seventh month, and this is the month that they're in. At the beginning of the passage, we saw that they were in the seventh month. And that is when God commanded them to, to build these booths or to build these tabernacles that they were to live in. And we see that command, if you want to flip there, in Leviticus chapter 23. Now, you, you can read all of Leviticus uh, 23 if you want to. Leviticus 23, 42 through 44. We see this command for the festival of booze or the feast of tabernacles. Leviticus 23, 42 says, You are to live in booths for seven days. All the native born of Israel must live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am also, or excuse me, I am Yahweh your God. So Moses declared the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. And so that's just kind of a brief description of the command that's being referenced here in Nehemiah 8. And what was the purpose of that command? Well, the purpose of many of the things that we see that God commands his people to do uh, Passover, for instance, may be something that's on our mind now. It was what? It was a reminder of something that occurred. What was the what was what was the kind of the, the main focus that we see of these things for Passover and for the festival of booths? It was that God's people had been delivered out of slavery. They had been freed from Egypt by the power of God. And when when they were there, they celebrated this Passover where, where they would put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and when God came through, he would pass by those who were covered by the lamb, God's people. That was the command. And so they were supposed to remember Passover from that point forward. They were supposed to celebrate that event that God uh, did for them. And that's one of the things that we see, that when they celebrate Passover, it's to remind them of their deliverance. Same thing here. They're supposed to build booths. What's it supposed to be for? A reminder that when they came out of Egypt, between there and the promised land, that they dwelt in booths or tabernacles during that time or tents. And so we see these things in the Old Testament that God's people, that the Jewish people were supposed to do that pointed them backwards to something. But they also pointed forward to something better. They pointed forward to Jesus Christ because everything was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, even today, Jewish people, at, this, at, the, at the appointed time, they still build booths. You can find pictures online of Jewish people, and you'll see tons of these booths or tabernacles or tents or ever what materials they use. They'll build them right beside their house. And during the week of the, the festival of booths, they will, some of them, live and sleep and do everything in that little booth and that little tent that they have built. They're doing that because they have missed Jesus. Because Jesus fulfilled everything that God wanted to do. Uh, God doesn't want us to still live in tabernacles. Yes, there were lots of things in the Old Testament that God says, this is a command forever for my people. 
But these things were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that, well, chapter, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, became flesh. And the Word, in John 1, 14, took up residence among us. Or some of your translations may rightly say a better translation, and he tabernacled among us. That same type of language. Jesus fulfills every command that was given to God's people in the Old Testament. That's why we don't do those things anymore, those of us who are in Christ. We are freed from the law because Jesus has fulfilled the law in every way. So we don't observe all the commands that God gave to the people of Israel in the Old Testament because Jesus has fulfilled those things. Now, for the people of Nehemiah's day, it was right for them to do this because it was a command to them. It was to remind them of how God delivered them. But we don't need reminders of booths and, 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 and Passovers of old. What we need is Jesus Christ. He is our reminder. So that's what we come to. We come to Jesus, our reminder, who everything was fulfilled in. And so they saw here that in the seventh month they were supposed to build these booths, and they did just that in verse 15. So they proclaimed and spread this news throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the hill country and bring back branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths just as it is written. The people went out, brought back branches, and made booths for themselves on each of their rooftops and courtyards. The court of the house of God, the square by the water gate, and the square by the gate of Ephraim. The whole community that had returned from exile made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua son of Nun until that day. And there was tremendous joy. Ezra read, the, read out of the book of the law of God every day from the first day to the last. The Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was an assembly according to the ordinance. So, there... They, they read the law, and they're following the law. This is what God always wanted them to do. And, and it says something interesting there in verse 17, that the whole community that had returned from exile made the booze, and that they had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun. That was a long time ago. The days of Joshua, that's the same Joshua that kind of took over after Moses. That was Moses' right-hand guy, and he kind of passed the torch over to him, and it was Joshua that took him into the promised land. That was a long time before these events occurred. But yet in all of that time, it says that the people had not celebrated in this way. They had not been doing what God called them to do. And what does it say? It said that there was a tremendous joy among the people. Now, they could have been living in this tremendous joy for the last ever how many hundreds of years it had been. But they weren't living in the tremendous joy. Why is that? Because they were living in sin. They were living in idolatry. That was the whole problem with Josiah that we read about. There was all kind of idolatry and, and idol worship going on in the temple of God. And so for a long time, from Joshua until now, it doesn't appear that the people have experienced the type of joy that they're experiencing at this time because they had not been living for the Lord, because they had not obviously been reading God's Word, listening to it, living by it, and rejoicing in God's Word. And maybe that's a good thing for us to take from this passage, that 
that God was good to his people and he wanted to restore his people. But even though the temple was restored and the walls were restored, there was still more that had to be done. And how was God going to work through his people? Well, he was going to do it through his word. He was going to do it by letting them hear his word and hopefully listen to his word and live by it and accept it. And that's the same way that God wants to reach us today. I mean, praise the Lord that we come here in this building and we can worship and we can hang out and we can love each other. That's good. But, but what God wants is for us to hear his word and to know his word and to live by his word on a daily basis and to rejoice in it. And maybe sometimes we come and we don't rejoice in it. We just hear it and we wish, we wish all right, it's been long enough. Let's hurry up and go home. But we need, to, we need to be a little more receptive and say, okay, anytime we hear God's word being read and preached and taught, maybe there's something in there I need to hear. So God, help me to be attentive. That may need to be our prayer because it's tough, right? We got, we got things that worry our mind. We, we don't feel good. We get sidetracked. And, and there's, there's all kind of things that keep us from being attentive. But maybe we need to pray, God, help me to be attentive to your word because there may be something in these words, and no doubt there is, that we need to hear. So we want to be those that listen to him. We don't want to be those that, that, that have to be like the people of Josiah's day, that one day we're cleaning up our house and we say, hey, here's this old Bible. Let's get the dust off. And you know what happens when we get the dust off the Bible if we hadn't read it for a while? We open it up and chances are we feel tremendous joy when we really spend time in God's Word. And we say, man, why hadn't I been reading God's Word? I'm going to read it every day. And then that lasts for about three days and then we get back with the world and then we put it back on the shelf but we have to make some effort to be in god's word so that we can experience that joy and the guidance that god wanted to give his people he wants to give us too and we we learn about that and we experience that through the scripture which points us to jesus christ and everything that there is and so when we read about these things in the old testament the festival of booze and all of this stuff it's all pointing us forward to jesus christ and that's where we want to rejoice when we read god's word that's what it all points us to. Old Testament, New, New Testament, it points us to Jesus, and that is why we rejoice tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and thank you for your word. I pray that you help us to learn from what we see here and, and your people. God, that we would be attentive to your word, that we would listen. God, it's tough sometimes. We do have those distractions, but I pray that you help us to be able to listen to your word and not just hear it, but to live by it, dear Lord. It's not just enough to hear your word, but we want to be those who do your word. And so, God, I pray that we'd be as excited about it as your people were in this passage. And, God, I pray that we would find joy in your word. And, indeed, we will. If we really seek you, God, we will find joy in you. And so, God, I pray that if there are some of us tonight, maybe, maybe we're living in sin in some way. Maybe, we're, maybe, maybe your word's got a little dust on it, dear, dear Lord. We need to dust it off. We need to get back in it. And I pray that when we do, we'll find you. We'll find Jesus Christ, and we will, we will find peace and joy and forgiveness in Him. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.